Welcome everyone to the Armchair Bookers Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Joslin, and while it is typically great to talk about wrestling, this week will be a bit more somber, uh, considering we lost two icons in the industry. Uh, we lost Terry Funk, uh, and the next day we lost Wyndham Rotunda, also known as Bray Wyatt. It's been a tough week um, for, for wrestling fans. Uh, so I want to spend the next 30 minutes or so talking about their careers, how they impacted me as a fan, how they've impacted the wrestling industry as a whole, because both men, 50 years for Terry, uh, you know, a, couple, a decade and a half or so for Bray, Bray Wyatt, Wyndham. Um, in the, that amount of time, so much was accomplished in wrestling and so much uh, evolved because of these two men. So I'm going to start with Terry. Um, and let me, let me start with, uh, by no means can I cover even a sliver of Terry Funk's career while, you know, in the time frame that I have here. Um, so I encourage you, if you hear anything that is of interest, uh, please check it out. Terry Funk has had a career like no other. Um, I'll touch on pieces of it. But like I said, you know, really go back and look at some of his work. And I'll highlight a couple matches in a bit. Uh, Terry Funk is from West Amarillo, uh, Texas. West, went to West Amarillo University. He's just one of those legit tough guys. If you've ever seen Roadhouse, he's one of the bouncers in that. Uh, he was in the movie Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone, a movie about um, uh, arm wrestling. I love it. Uh, check those out. But like, he played the same character as he is, just, just a tough, tough guy. By no means was he, from what anything I've ever read or heard, a, a mean guy. He was very approachable, very nice, um, very sweet man, but tough. So you don't want to press those buttons. And I think he toughened up through his years of wrestling uh, even more so, which is impressive considering he was a hardened, hardened fella to begin with playing football in West Amarillo. Uh, he always knew he wanted to become a wrestler. I've read a few uh, of his interviews, and he, he talked about knowing that that's where he's going to go, football or not. You know, that's what what he wanted to do. His his father, Dory Funk Sr., was in the wrestling business, had his own promotion down in Texas called Western States Sports. Um, and that's where Terry came up and honed his craft alongside his brother, Dory Funk Jr. Um, as a tag team, they wrestled all over the world. Um, again, uh, you know, tag team champions all over the place. Uh, very long careers together. Um, I can't, I, that's as much, probably just as much as I'm going to talk, talk about uh, their tag team. I'm going to focus a little bit more on his indie, you know, independent run, you know, solo wrestling run. Uh, Terry wrestled for every company that, you know, I, I've read the list and it is impressively long in terms of, I don't know how many, the, the amount, the promotions that I know, I don't think I saw, I saw everyone that I know, <laughs> put it that way, and a whole lot that I didn't. Um, so, but to name a few, he did wrestle for New Japan, he wrestled for All Japan, wrestled for WCW, ECW, WWE. He wrestled across uh, all the promotions across the country for NWA, um, FMW, which is for uh, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, which I'm going to put a pin, a big old pin in that, because you want to talk about a wild, wild company with some wild matches. That's going to be the place to do some research. So, I'm going to come back to that. Uh, but while he was coming up and, and throughout his entire career, uh, he definitely knew how to take a hit from a uh, from a tough tough wrestler, uh, a very f- firm wrestler in the ring, um, and and bled a lot right off the bat. You know he um, he wrestled coming up against Stan Hansen, 
uh, Bruiser Brody, Abdullah the Butcher, the original Sheik, who is Sabu's uncle, Tiger Jeet, Harley Race. That is just a teeny touch on some of the wrestlers he came up uh, going against. These men were known for hitting hard and bleeding. So I'm going to put another pin in the blood. Um, but, I mean, just the names, Abdullah the Butcher, you think that they were just having a slap fight? Bruiser Brody? We, you know, the, uh, um, the brown panties match they were having. These guys were hitting with everything they had. You know, there was a lot of busted open, showing color spots that weren't involving weapons. It was just hand-to-hand combat where somebody was just split open by fists, you know. Um, man, you know, it, it, I keep saying you know because it's impressively, uh, impressive, it's an impre- he's an impressive physical specimen. Didn't necessarily look like a wrestler, but man, he knew how to throw a beating and take a beating and you believed it because it's just his whole presence. You just knew. Um, he won titles everywhere, uh, tag team titles with his brother. He was an NWA champion. He won the ECW championship, uh, towards the beginning of when they transitioned into calling themselves extreme championship wrestling. Um, he just, he, he never seemed to stop being able to deliver, you know, across 50 years, he retired about 800 times. My buddy, uh, my buddy and I talk about, it. I think it's legitimately in the, in the high twenties, how many times he's retired. I think several of them lasted less than a day, uh, maybe less than even an event. Um, but he, he kept going, you know, he just kept wrestling for years and considering where his start, his career began with, with, um, you know, where he, his career began with the, with the tag teams, but he really started to explode when he started getting into um, the extreme matches, the death matches. So that's when he kind of get into uh, his evolution and where I started to hear more and more, watch more and more about Terry Funk. So uh, his death matches um, were, were for real, you know, um, really serious. Uh, explode. Basically, what, what you see now... Um, in the death matches, uh, I think AEW's had a couple. Um, uh, if you want to see some serious ones, CZW is a great reference for that. They have a lot of death matches. Casanova Valentine, friend of the show, um, he has barroom death matches. They are wild. Um, but death matches, for the reason that Terry Funk is is so known for extreme is because he put on some of the first ever death matches. For example, he was in. I'm going to read this right off. In, in Frontier Martial Arts. He, uh, to put an understanding, all right, hold up, to put an understanding of, to the style of what FMW, uh, was from Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, their program is whole based off of outrageously extreme matches. So they, uh, to, to, to highlight, um, they, <laughs> they had an anus exploding death match where the opponent's job was to, to win the match, stick a firecracker up the opponent's, uh, behind and light it on fire. So with that being said, um, one of the matches that I strongly recommend uh, for you to check out would be at, at excuse me, uh, if I botched the name, I apologize, at Sushi o- Onita. He was the founder of uh, FMW. He and Funk put on the first ever no rope exploding barbed wire time bomb death match. The story that they tell in the ring, now I'm not a guy for, for blood, I'm really not. Um, but when you when you watch a match and the two men are so invested in what they're doing, uh, watching them put each other through such a beating, you just get you just get pulled into it. I don't want to spoil the match because the ending is a very important ending and really highlighted the storytelling throughout. 
Um, so I strongly recommend that match and anything else FMW has put on, check out their list of, of wildness. Um, it wasn't just death matches though. He really, he just did hardcore matches. Um, ECW really highlighted that style with the chairs and tables and, and high risk maneuvers off top ropes and balconies and, and all sorts of things like that. He was just able to do it and seemed to do it so I just don't understand how to really, I can't really explain it other than to say you, you watch it and you're just watching this everyday man fight back. <laughs> um, as corny as that sounds, that's really what you see with, with um, in the later career of Terry Funk when he, he, he was just more of an extreme wrestler um, kind, of, uh, kind of guy. Um, another match that I really recommend uh, checking out, um, anything with Mick Foley. Mick Foley is very much um, a student of Terry Funk's game. Uh, but one specific, I'm coming back to the, some deathmatch here. This one is a no ropes barbed wire, exploding barbed wire boards, and exploding ring time bomb deathmatch. This match was for the finals of the King of the Deathmatch tournament, uh, which was held by IWA, the International Wrestling Association of Japan. Uh, that was in the 90s, early 90s. I didn't write down the date. But that, you know, that will, is going to go to show you what he put out. Uh, for for the fans to be entertained, it really, um, it was really a career that was just filled with with story. Um, if you're not a fan of of blood, I still suggest checking Terry Funk out because it wasn't the blood just added to the the mayhem, the chaos, but his storytelling <clears throat> throughout was was it was always there. As as wild as the matches were, like this dude should be dead. It's explosive death. It's called a death match. Somebody should die. Um, you believe it while you're watching it. You know, he just made you feel like you were there. I, you know, Terry Funk, what, a, what an entertainer. What, um, what a wrestler really just loved doing what he did. You know, you can't retire 20 some odd times, um, because you, you know, and come back, 20, you know, retire 22 times because you want to be out, but coming back 22 times is, is different. You know, you couldn't hold him away. He, uh, he showed up for a TNA, you know, he just continued, uh, by TNA total nonstop action when they were still, um, I think they were still part of the NWA's something along those lines. But before they were repackaged to Impact Wrestling, they were TNA. He showed up for their for them as well. So you know he really did hit all of the big TV um, promotions that were on TV in any form or fashion. Uh, AEW would absolutely have been a place that he showed up if he was younger and able to go, no doubt. Um, and that would have been really cool because of what the presentation they put on with their hardcore matches. Um, so, uh, just, uh, just, if you don't know Terry Funk or, or have seen any of his work, check it out, blood or not, into it or not, check it out. Um, you know, you're just going to be entertained. Uh, I really got to know more about Terry Funk while, when he came to WWE during the Attitude Era as Chainsaw Charlie. He had um, stocking over his head. He carried out a chainsaw, um, flannels and ripped up pants and everything. And he just, I mean, he was wild. He came out with Cactus Jack, which was an incarnation of Mick Foley. Um, they came out with a, um, this was when hardcore wrestling in WWE meant blood and, and head shots and chair shots and, and, and all those things. Um, so uh, while they were a team, Chainsaw Charlie and Cactus Jack, now they also fought against each other. Royal Rumble, I forget the year, they were the first two entrants, and it was just two minutes of hardcore fighting between the two of them. It was great. Um, 
So, but anyway, to go back to it, they were a team against the uh, New Age Outlaws. Um, they were rolled off uh, during an episode. I remember my jaw dropping, like, oh my god. Uh, they rolled, uh, the New Age Outlaws rolled Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie off the um, entrance ramp. So it felt like 15 feet. And everybody, Jim Ross was on the commentary. So, I mean, he was selling it like, you know, they got hit by a train. By God, by God. You know, it, it, was, it was such a cool, um, cool visual and such a neat moment. Like, oh my God, they just rolled these two old dudes off, <laughs> off, the, off the, uh, the entrance ramp in a dumpster. What? Uh, but that was Attitude Era. That led into a match between uh, both teams, I believe at WrestleMania, in a dumpster match, which they won and, uh, and, and won the belts together. So that was really, really fun. New Age Outlaws, were, which are such pesky little jerks. Um, to, so to see the underdog wild men come out and win... It was really fun. I remember that match very specifically. Uh, you're not going to see any art to it. You're just going to watch a fun match, attitude error match, plain and simple. But you will not be disappointed. Um, with that short, teeny, tiny bit, I just want to say thank you, uh, Terry Funk, um, for, for the entertainment that I got to see from you. Uh, thank you for providing that. Thank you for providing your body for our entertainment, man. Um, you know, uh, appreciate you. Appreciate your work. And, and rest in peace, sir. Um, whew. now moving on to, uh, to, to Bray, uh, Wyndham Rotunda, I do want to use his, his, uh, kayfabe name. Um, this one is, is, it's, you know, it's tough. He was, he was 36 years old and to hear that he died from a heart attack from, um, complications that arose from, from COVID it's, it's heartbreaking in, in a whole bunch of ways. You know, we see these wrestlers and, um, we see what they do in the ring and we're just so used to. I don't know. I am used to kind of forgetting that they're human beings. Even in the world of social media, you you just always view them as a character. So to hear that they go through something, um, you know, so real, uh, it's tough. Uh, I'm older than Bray Wyatt was, so uh, you know, um, the oh, the SmackDown intro, uh, the the uh, tribute to him, pulled me in a lot of pulled my heartstrings in a lot of areas. You know, he was a young dad, uh, four kids. He survived by them and his, his partner, Jojo, who used to work for WWE. Um, it's just a, a terrible, uh, just a tough one. Very, very tough one to, to hear about. But let's let's get into his, his career. Let's get into why he was, why we're, we're so touched and emotional about the passing of Wyndham Rotunda. So, um, he comes from one of the greatest family lineages in wrestling. Um, he really does. Uh, he's the grandson of Black Jack Mulligan, who was just this massive man of muscle meat, you know, in the, in the same realm of... He fought uh, uh, Terry Funk, so he was one of those just big guys who threw hammers. Uh, nephew of Barry and Kendall Wyndham, which uh, is, is why his first name is Wyndham. So it's a blending of, of the Mulligan family and the Wyndham family and, uh, you know, just dynamic athletes in that family. So you're not shocked with what Wyndham was able to do. Uh, he's the son of Erwin R. Scheister, IRS, um, an early nineties wrestler who was a, a partner of Ted DiBiase for a long time. He's also the older brother to Bo Dallas, who is a, a former wrestler with, uh, WWE, who's rumored to be coming back as the uncle howdy character, which we want to touch on a little bit later. Um, but that, you know, we're, we're, we're not sure if that, how that would come to fruition now. Um, so his family lineage is entrenched in wrestling. He actually left, I believe it's Troy University, 27 credits shy of graduating because he was ready to pursue wrestling. He played uh, football out there, but 
was ready to go. So he, he went and, and followed his career into wrestling. And thank, thankfully he did that because we've got, we got a lot of years of entertainment out of, out of what he, he brought to us. Um, booked well or not, uh, and he was not ever booked well, um, the, the, it didn't matter for, you know, it took for so long for people to start to kind of shift their interest because he just, he brought you in his character development. Few, few had, have ever done it like him. If any, in my, my wrestling watching experiences, he just, uh, made three different characters in a, in a 10 year span that were wildly amazing and pulled you in and just made your head spin with what's going on the riddles that he spoke but the feeling behind them and his whole gestures mannerisms facial expressions man and it evolved with each character that he made so just wow you know um get back to that in in a few as well so let's talk about kind of how he uh how he, he got introduced and what evolved and what made Bray so amazing, Wyndham so amazing. So he started as, uh, in Nexus, um, it was a slight sort of reality TV, wrestling TV show, but not, it's hard to explain. Anyway, he came up as part of the Nexus stable under CM Punk as Husky Harris. Yeah, it did not go well with a name like Husky Harris. He just, it, it didn't work. Luckily, that did not last long. He went back down to NXT and, uh, his character evolved into Bray Wyatt. Now we're talking. So Bray Wyatt uh, was um, a cult leader. Um, he had three followers, uh, two to start. It was Luke Harper, uh, we know as the late, great Brody Lee, passed away a few years ago. Eric Rowan, um, later Braun Strowman was at it, and Daniel Bryan was even part of the cult for a short amount of time. Um, just Bray's approach to the character, the, the hat, the Hawaiian shirts, the... Um, the, the rocking chair, his, his laugh, his delivery. You just knew that you were watching somebody that, that knew how to invigorate the crowd, knew how to get them to eat out of the palm of his hand. And he was so good at it. If he didn't even step in the ring, he would have gone down as one of the best on the mic, one of the best characters. He just made you believe that he was what he was. His in-ring talent matched. Um... You know, and it, it most it mo- is primarily overlooked, really, because of how good of a character developer he was, and and as good of, excuse me, as good of, um, uh, um, as good as he was on on the mic and making you believe what he was, who he was. You know, they were creepy, they were mean, they had the masks, they just pulled it all off. You know, his sidekicks the silent, and he's just he's just menacing. He was just menacing. He based a lot of the character off of Dan Spivey, uh, an old school wrestler who who also had quite a creepy streak um, as uh, as um, Wayland uh, Wayland. Uh, I'm forgetting the name. Wayland. Not going to remember it. Uh, but Dan Spivey, check out his characters. One of the one of them is based off a basis for Bray Wyatt. Um, but uh, so. Evolving from there, um, he then became, he started what was called the Firefly Funhouse. Now, the vignettes leading to that were just these, like, creepy little puppets. And anybody's, I, myself, very much included, rolling my eyes going, oh, my Lord, this is going to be another um, gobbledygooker. Don't know that reference. Got to check that out. I'm not going to give you any more information on it. You just got to see it for yourself. Um, so there was a lot of concern for me as a fan. What are they going to do? This, this seems like it's tying. Waylon Mercy. There it is. Waylon Mercy. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Bray Wyatt based off of uh, parts of Waylon Mercy's character. There we go. Um, um, so to he, he 
the Firefly Funhouse, um, he came back as this horror-themed Mr. Rogers, the range grown-ups kind of kid show. It was wild, man. Um, he, it, it was based off the, all the puppet vignettes that I was talking about that, that we were worried about. They all came through amazingly. They had, uh, they had a Husky the Pig, different characters, um, all puppets. Uh, Sister Abigail was the main, it was a very main focus, focal point of his character between The Fiend and uh, Bray Wyatt. It was a dual personality um, character. So the Firefly Funhouse, he was, he was Bray Wyatt, um, but he had a split personality and he would talk about The Fiend and his other half, basically. And when The Fiend showed up, dudes, for real, I had marked out, which means I went nuts. Completely forgot that I'm a grown man watching a scripted show. Um, but that's what he did. That's what he does. That, that's what he did. Um, <clears throat> man. Um, loved it. The, the Fiend is a character that you have to go and see a picture of. Just grotesque and just... Woo! Man. Uh, yeah, the, the Fiend was a character that just took people by storm. Um his delivery again he was he was masked at this point um he had a, it was a horror themed mask designed by one of the greatest horror themed mask designers and of course i don't remember his name at the moment but i'll try to find it um just just again full commitment into this dark dark character the antithesis of a mr rogers i would say um but while he was bray he was this happy-go-lucky uh red sweater wearing Hi kids, welcome aboard! <laughs> like it was, it was amazing, amazing. And then to flip the script and watch him as the fiend, just impeccable, just absolutely. Uh, my girls were terrified of the fiend until I got them like a little plastic fiend mask, and then they they loved them after that. They would wear his mask around and and try to scare me. Uh, before he passed, he was um, and before he took a long hiatus, which you know we found out was because of health. Um, he debuted a new character. Uh, Again, happy, thankful to the community, uh, to uh, the, the WWE universe. He introduced a character named Uncle Howdy. Uh, and there was speculation on a new stable called the Wyatt Six. There were a few wrestlers named that, that were actually attached to a possible stable. Eric Young, who had left WWE. Uh, Alexa Bliss, who's actually on maternity leave. Congrats, Alexa Bliss. Um, and obviously that, that stable, we will not know what comes next with it. Which, you know, it, it's devastating because... We know what he put into developing this new idea that he had. And we just, you know, it's one of those, um, you know, we'll never know the full ending. Uh, but, you know, that's as uh, sad for us as fans. But, you know, as, as a community, it's sad to lose somebody who uh, so young, uh, so talented. You know, I think he'll unfortunately will be one of those big, one of the biggest what ifs in wrestling in terms of what could have been, you know, if, if he so unfortunately did not get sick his creativity, his character development, how it would have evolved throughout his career, you know, in the short amount of time that we got to view him. Thankful for that short amount of time. And what he did in that short amount of time really made you, made wrestlers commit more to a deep-rooted character with layers. You know, that's how he showed that, that you can still do that even if the, the character is outlandish and wild, if it's not rooted in a specific reality, if it's much more of a gimmick as opposed to, you know, a person, you know, um, he made you still believe it in an era of social media. He just made you believe in the terror that he wanted to uh, disperse. Thank you, Bray. Um, you know, the short bit that we got was amazing. Thankful, Bray, for uh, getting to be one of your fireflies. 
and watch you hold the whole world in your hands. Thank you, Wyndham Rotunda. Ooh. Thank you, sir. Um, so, <laughs> next week, I will be sharing my feelings on AEW's All In. I'll chat about what's up in WWE. Get back to, um, you know, some of the, the news in the world of wrestling. Uh, before I let you leave, do not forget that while you wait for my newest episode to drop, you can always find previous content, such as interviews and old episodes. Also, new content on the way. Uh, on the Armchair Bookers Podcast YouTube channel, our Facebook page, our TikTok, our IG, um, TikTok, not TikTok. I want some orange TikToks. I think my girlfriend just got those. I just went off on a tangent. While you're still here, if you're still here, like, follow, subscribe, comment, shout out to John Kiernan, my producer and the amazing artist behind my theme, Into the Fire, featuring Monteezy, which you can find on iTunes. Thanks again. And with that being said, John, throw me into the fire that is wrestling podcasting. Thank you and good night.